Welcome to the latest episode of our podcast series for financial advisors. Today's episode is an industry update on the 10 characteristics of the most successful teams. It's a conversation with my partner, Lewis Diamond. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. This podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com, as well as Apple Podcasts and other major podcast platforms. If you are not already a subscriber and want to be notified of new show releases, please subscribe right on your favorite podcast platform or on the episode page on our website. For Apple Podcast users, I'd be grateful if you'd give the show a review. Your input helps us to make the series better and alerts other advisors like you who may find the content to be relevant. And while you're at it, if you know others who are considering change or simply looking to learn more about the industry landscape, please feel free to share this episode or the series widely. Over the last 25 plus years, Diamond Consultants has been fortunate to guide the industry's top advisors through their successful transitions, to the tune of moving many stellar teams collectively managing some $250 billion or more in assets. We're grateful for the trust these teams have placed in us and for the front row seat with an instructive view of what sets them apart from others in the field. Like sports teams, it's not enough to have the strongest, most talented, and dedicated players on the field. The best teams have effective leaders at the helm of cohesive groups with complementary talents that move together toward a common goal, to win. But there are plenty of steps required to get and stay winners. And from what we've observed in the wealth management industry, much of the same holds true for advisory teams. That is, There are common behaviors shared amongst top performing advisory teams that make them stand apart from others in the field. And these are behaviors that any team at any level can adopt, whether they work as employees at a big brokerage firm or are independent business owners, whether they are sole practitioners or part of an ensemble group. I've asked my partner, Lewis Diamond, to explore the topic with me. So let's get to it. Lewis, I thank you once again for joining me. Absolutely. Excited to dive in. Okay. So from having worked with so many of these top advisors, what is it that from your perspective makes them so extraordinarily effective and efficient? Yeah. I think both of those words are important because there's many extremely effective advisors. They've mastered their craft, they're experts in their field, but they may not be efficient. And vice versa, there's many that might be efficient, but aren't necessarily as effective. So I think combining those two words, efficient and effective, is key. And to me, that leads to being members of a team. The best advisors in the industry are parts of teams, whether it's multiple advisors that are supporting a common client base, or maybe it's multiple advisors supported by a common support team, or maybe it's one advisor who's built more of an ensemble practice with multiple specialists supporting his own business. But the common thread is not running alone. I would also use the analogy, the sports analogy that we heard earlier in the series by Dan Johnson, where he talked about a team operating more like a basketball team rather than a bowling club or a bowling team. 
So the basketball team has five different members on the floor at the same time. Each one has their own role. You have the the point guard who's calling the plays. You have the center who's getting the rebounds, et cetera, et cetera. Versus a bowling team where you have one person who's the star and there's not too much support behind them. So to me, that's what really makes a lot of these top advisors the most effective is that they're parts of teams and they're able to operate more efficiently because of that. So let me ask you a question about that with respect to teams. Number one, a lot of the firms have worked hard to really suggest or strongly encourage that solo advisors join teams. And we've talked a lot on this series how that works often to the advantage of the firm. It sounds like what you're saying is it also works to the advantage of the advisor. But what of the advisor that is a sole practitioner and hasn't found the right team member? Yeah, it's a great point. So I think you're right. The, the teaming does cut both ways. It is often in the firm's best interest to encourage teaming because teams are stickier to a firm, teams do grow faster, and teams can can specialize in certain roles. So it's definitely to a firm's best interest. But I think in this case, firms and advisors are aligned. Teaming is a great idea. It's proven that by data. And if you look at any RIA firm, any independent firm, they really all operate like teams. So if you're a solo producer, there's nothing wrong with that. Just like anything in this business, you get to decide how to live your best business life. And for some, they enjoy running on their own. And while they may not be as efficient as a similar practice that's on a team, if, as long as it works for them, um, they're able to have work-life balance. They're able to do what they need to for clients. And to them, their growth and their succession is taken care of. Then I don't think there's anything wrong with being a sole practitioner. We've just seen, though, that teaming is one strategy for accelerating growth and creating efficiencies and driving better client service. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think I agree with that. Teams can come in different shapes and sizes. We're referring to multiple producers or multiple advisors coming together to create capacity and scale in the lake. But I know you and I have both worked with many successful sole practitioners that choose to practice as a solo, not associated with other advisors, but have very strong support staff behind them. Yeah, and, but I would say that that's a team in, in and of itself. That They have people that are specializing in certain roles and the individual advisor doesn't have to answer the phones and move money and also work with clients and grow the business. So I think like with anything, teams come in all shapes and sizes, but I would still say if, if, if it's a single advisor with one or two team members, that's still a team by definition. Yeah, I agree with that. I think we're definitely on the same page. All right, so let's jump into our topic at hand. We are not industry coaches, but our role is very much coach, consultant, guide, even armchair psychologist to many top teams, and we're grateful for that. And as such, I think we've really formed a real point of view or perspective on what are the common traits and characteristics of the top producing teams. So let's jump into it. What do you think number one on the list is? Absolutely. And I would call out before we jump into this, that while teams is probably more of a wirehouse or a captive employee model term. If you look at any wealth management practice, whether they're running their own RIA, they're independent through a broker dealer, they're at a bank, I think teams are important across the industry. An RIA or an independent business, while they're one business, they really do function as as a team as well. So I think these tips can be germane to really any advisor who um, who works across the spectrum of the industry. So I'll take the first of our of our 10 point list here. And this was gathered from having a front row seat to working with some of the most effective advisors in the industry. So my first point is that these teams have 
written strategic plans. They do things like offsites and they really think of their business as a business. Even though many of these folks might be employees of a firm, they really do look at themselves as business owners, as entrepreneurs. And similar to any entrepreneur in any industry, uh, making sure goals are written down, they know which direction everyone's pointing, and they take time to step away from the office and either have a moderated discussion through a coach or consultant. Maybe they take an afternoon once a quarter to just talk about the business. And it doesn't mean they're talking about moving and changing firms. It might just be about taking space away from the office where they're out of the hustle and bustle and can really think about what they're trying to accomplish as a team rather than what each individual advisor or person is trying to accomplish. I think what you're talking about is time to work on the business instead of in it so that their thinking doesn't become insular. But I want to call out something you said. You know, we talk a lot about the change in advisor mindset and how in the last decade or so, especially, advisors have come to really view their business as a business. Now, that's an obvious statement for an independent business owner, but not necessarily an obvious one for someone who works for a wirehouse firm or a traditional brokerage firm. So can you expand on that? What do you mean by that? Yeah. So what I mean by that is it's intoxicating for any advisor, any salesperson, any practitioner, and really any line of business to do what they really enjoy, which is oftentimes bringing in new business. Maybe it's working with clients, working in the markets, et cetera. But the harder part, maybe the stuff that's not as fun because maybe it's overwhelming or it just takes you away from the immediacy of generating more business and growing it is taking a step back and working on big picture items. So it's figuring out your handful of priorities that you're trying to accomplish. It's thinking through, what do we want to look like in three to five years? It's thinking about, do we have the right people on our team? Are we rowing in the same direction? And as we go about our day, are we doing the right activities? Are we doing what's most essential? So it's hard to kind of take a step back and work on the business instead of in it, but it's really important because every financial advisor is really running their own business, regardless of what channel of the industry they happen to sit in. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. So let me jump into trait number two. And I really like this one because what I think it is, is that the top teams in the industry have a, a slate of non-advisor resource or support to help run the business and take care of the non-core functions so that the advisors are free to do the things that matter most to clients, that they're able to manage investments and continue to build relationships. So what I mean by that, I'll give an example. RIA firms or independent businesses obviously already have that. Most of them anyway, if they're running as a business, are not one-armed paper hangers, but rather have support staff. They have the administrative and operational staff, and then they have the revenue generators or the advisors. But people that work, advisors that work in traditional brokerage firms may not necessarily have that. But one of the shifts we've seen in the last number of years is that even those teams working within the confines of a big brokerage firm are beginning to adapt the notion of hiring or bringing in or embracing non-producers to take on really key functions. An example of this, I worked many years ago with a team that I moved from Merrill Lynch to First Republic in New York. 
the team was generating probably about 11 million or so in annual revenue and managing in excess of a billion dollars when they moved. And one of the things that they will tell you was most pivotal in their growth was having hired someone who would come from another part of the business to really be the COO, chief operating officer, to run non-advisor related functions. And while Merrill Lynch balked at it at first, because in their world, everyone plays, you're either a producer or you're not. In this particular instance, they really embrace the notion. And I think big teams at big firms are beginning to embrace the notion that it's important to have somebody to handle a lot of the non-advisor work in order to really free the advisors up to give them room to run and to do what they do best. Do you agree with that? I completely agree. And I think what this particular point is trying to make is that, and I think one of the next points will be more about like specialist roles, whether it's investment folks or planners, this is more a COO executive type. So their title doesn't have to be chief operating officer. Maybe it's practice manager. Maybe it's a longtime client service associate who has more of a senior role in the team. It's someone that can help to really drive the rest of the team forward while the advisors can stick in their lanes. It's also extremely helpful if a team is ever considering going independent and launching their own business. This COO type role is one of the the critical linchpins to a well-run business. So if you already have that role or you can promote someone from within, it's an investment, not just for the current, but also in the future, because it allows you to open up some different avenues for growth. Mm. I'll take the third one. It is related to number two. These very successful teams have investment professionals or investment teams and specialists that help advisors stay laser focused on their core competency. This can also become a point of differentiation for the team. So what we mean by this are a team of folks that all they do is work on the markets or all they're doing is financial planning or all they're doing is working with, with executives on their stock plan business. Fill in the blank for your type of business. But the point is the advisors can go out and gather assets They can meet with clients, and then they can point to folks within their team that are trained up in their own methodology that can come in and then take on some of the time-consuming work. In this environment, many advisors look at investments, for instance, as being commoditized. While that may or may not be true, some teams look and say, well, investments, they might be commoditized, but we have a really talented team behind us, and we're actually going to make this a core competency. We're going to make ourselves look different from the other 14, 15, 16,000 advisors that sit at our firm. I really love this point. I think it's really important that a team has their own value proposition. And part of that is having their own internal specialists. But what about the ability to rely on the specialists that work for the firm so that a team doesn't have to come out of pocket to build their own slate of specialists? Can't they, they rely on their firms? Certainly. That's one way to leverage a firm's scale. And then and that's really what an advisor is, is paying for often out of the 55, 60 cents in the dollar that goes to the firm is you're getting their resources. The difference here is a specialist is supporting hundreds or maybe thousands of advisors. There's a limit to the amount of work that they'll do for you. There's a limit on their availability. And there's also an inconsistency in the quality of those professionals. So these are folks that are native to a team that an advisor can really trust to be an extension of their team And they don't have to kind of take a guess as to who's going to be available in the specialist department. But certainly for maybe a team that doesn't have as much scale or a team that's just starting off, they can kind of test the waters of this approach with these centralized resources. 
And then as they grow and scale, maybe one of their first hires will be an investment professional or a paraplanner or something of the sort. Yeah, makes sense. And I think what we're talking about here is that these successful teams are building their own independent enterprises within the confines of a major firm, if that's where they happen to sit. They may not be independent, but they're creating their own infrastructure and their own kingdoms, if you will, so that they're looking and feeling more like their own independent entities. Let me segue then to point number four. These big teams are never happy with the status quo, with stagnation. They're always possessing a growth mindset. They track to key performance indicators. They track common goals like net new assets and client retention and production. And every team member is aware of these goals and is incentivized to run a row in the same direction and to hit certain targets so that they really run as one cohesive group. And the notion, I think, of not being happy with the status quo, always looking for something bigger and better, tracks across any business. The notion that you want to always remain relevant and the notion that if you're not growing, you're going backward. Anything you'd add to that one? Nope. I think that's very well said as is. I always think it's amazing in this industry that the best teams and advisors, they make tons and tons of money and most can never work another day in their life and be extremely successful and already have their families set up for generations. But what keeps these teams fresh and why they're the best advisors is like you said, they don't rest on their laurels. They're always looking at the next big thing. Certainly plenty of advisors will run more of a lifestyle practice. Nothing wrong with that. You get to choose what you want as an advisor, but the biggest and best, the advisors that are consistently on Barron's and Forbes, they're the ones that are growing the fastest, usually because it means they're not taking their eye off the ball. They're not saying, well, I just had a great year and we just brought in 30 new households. I'm going to go and take a four-month vacation. If anything, it's, well, we're going to bring in 35 households next year. We're going to grow even more. And as you know, as businesses get larger, the law of large numbers kicks in. And while 15, 20% growth is amazing, it's much harder to hit that as you get to 500 million, a billion, 2 billion, et cetera. And it's amazing that these successful teams, they, they keep hitting their growth targets year in, year out because they keep their eye on the ball. Yeah. And, you know, I guess the only other thing I'd add is that what we are in the midst of now is a very strong seller's market. And what's driving it is that it's the biggest teams in the industry that are moving. And one of the reasons they're moving is that despite the fact, as you indicated, that they're making plenty of money, they're incredibly successful by any measure, they're hitting all of their metrics, they're hitting all of their goals, and they could easily rest on their laurels. They aren't. They're looking to grow. And part of growth and maximizing growth and efficiency and effectiveness is checking in whether their firm remains the very best partner for them to continue to do it. And that's why a lot of them are moving is not because they want to cash a big check, but really driven by the fact that they're motivated to do bigger and better and are hoping to find a place that's bigger and better to do it. Absolutely. I'm with you. All right. Number five, these teams are successful because of their own capabilities, their own value proposition, and their unique team, rather than being incredibly wrapped up into the DNA of their firm. And the business is really built to be successful anywhere. So many advisors, they leverage their business card, the Morgan Stanley, UBS, 
Merrill Lynch, Rockefeller, First Republic, Commonwealth, et cetera, the name. And they should. You got to use what makes you comfortable and confident and what gives you the best chance to win. But the best teams, when they're out selling to clients, when they're servicing clients, their pitch and their, their value proposition is not, we're Merrill Lynch, we can do X, Y, and Z. It's much more about the capabilities of the individual team. What this does is it makes it so that the, the team doesn't become so entrenched within the firm that they're kind of stuck. We see this often with teams at some of the larger private banks. It's the, the banks train advisors and relationship managers to be selling the firm. To be, It's about bringing in other members of the firm, the trust specialist, the banker, the investment professional. And it's not nearly as much about the individual private banking team. So if you're practicing in a captive environment or at a broker-dealer, the best teams make it much more about themselves. And they do it not just to make the business future-proof, so that if they ever wanted to leave, it's easier to do so because there's going to be less breakage and it's not a complete 180 for clients now that something you're presenting something totally different. But it also prevents advisors from looking like the person next door to them. So a lot of advisors are practicing at a wirehouse, let's say, and there might be six, seven, 14, 15, 16,000 advisors that carry the same business card and technically have the same resources. So aside from future-proofing the business, what it also does is it makes you look different from the advisor next door or the advisor in the city over. So for a lot of reasons, advisors creating their own unique value proposition is incredibly important. Yeah, agreed completely. And so let me jump then to number six. The top teams are really very clear-headed about their vision and where they want to go, what they want for the business. And as we said before, leave ample time to work on the business, to constantly check in, to make sure that the way they're living their lives and what they're doing is congruent with their goals, that they're constantly moving themselves forward in service of those goals with the goals as their true north. And you would be surprised how many people lose track of that vision. They're doing well, they're making good money, and they're just so focused on sort of running the day-to-day in the business that they lose sight of their goals, or worse yet, don't even have specific goals laid out. And the top teams are really very clear about what those goals are and spend time very often, daily, weekly, monthly, between all constituencies, making sure that their actions are congruent with those goals. Yep. Well said. I think the way this also plays out is, and that we hear it all the time in interviews we do for this podcast, so many of the top teams that we've interviewed that have gone independent in some shape or fashion, or even in our own business who transitioned from one firm to the other, they're moving. Of course, there's some baseline of frustration where they wouldn't consider moving at all. You should never move if you're extremely happy, but they're moving more so because of this grand vision that they have that's much larger than what they can accomplish where they are. And it leads into number seven, which is these folks are willing to be long-term greedy, even if it means disrupting momentum. So I think six and seven go hand in hand. If these folks have clear visions, but they're also willing to invest in that vision and willing to think more long-term, even if it means pulling back on their growth for the next couple of months, even if it means losing that big prospect that's in the pipeline, even if it means working really hard, They're willing to think long-term because they have something they want to accomplish, whether it's a vision for new services that should be offered to a client, or it's a vision that this business is becoming 
harder. It's becoming more commoditized. There's fear of price compression and that there's a way that they know they can serve clients better. They're going to take that shot. So six and seven, I think are related and seven being long-term greedy. So even though they may lose some growth, even though they may not get the biggest recruitment deal by going to whatever firm, they're willing to invest in that future because they know that there's something they want to do that's not possible right where they are. Yeah, I I think it's a concept we call shrink to grow. And actually, Melissa Bouchelon, who is now independent and a podcast guest that we interviewed, was the one who first said it and we adopted it and we love that term, that there's always, we've never done a deal, we've never moved someone where they haven't had to leave some assets behind or had some breakage or slippage. And the top teams, if you have your eye on the prize, you're okay with the concept of shrinking to grow because it's all in the service of getting bigger and better and being more congruent with your goals. And that actually brings me to number eight, which is they, these top teams think critically about how the status quo or their current situation impacts all stakeholders. So not just about their own personal financial gain, but how is what we are doing and how we are living our business lives impacting clients and team members and our families and our own personal satisfaction? Are we enjoying what we are doing? So a lot of times those goals, the desire to serve clients and to create the best possible scenario for team members and all stakeholders can be in direct conflict with the option that maximizes the advisor's personal financial gain. And the top teams are willing to do that for a couple of reasons. One is because if they think big picture, they know that if they keep their eye on the prize, they will win. That it's it should never be about money first and foremost that's driving it, but rather about big picture goals and always doing right by clients and team members. But the other reason is, is because they have real trust and faith in themselves. They trust their growth. They trust their process. They trust their relationships. They trust everything that they're doing and they're willing to keep their eye on the prize. Absolutely. And I think an example of this are the retiring advisor programs that are available at at most firms. These retiring advisor programs allow for a senior advisor to monetize their life's work by transitioning the business to the next generation. While it's nice for the senior team member because they don't have to move and it's easy and they're on the way out. So what's the point of disrupting momentum and working really hard? The really good teams will think really critically about signing on to these programs because they don't want to lock up their team members or they have family members that are coming into the business and they want to preserve any and all optionality. So these teams, they're thinking more than just about their own self. Look, you're an advisor because you're running a business, you're trying to make a living. And of course you have to take care of yourself, but the really good teams, they look at each other as family members, even if they're not related. And they look at the business as a business. We'll we'll keep coming back to that concept. And they're willing to really think critically about what staying means for the client, what going means for the client. And if there is a way to do better for any of the key stakeholders, they're going to take that shot because they're really concerned about more than just looking out for number one. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. All right. Number nine. This one's a fun one. Top teams have multiple avenues of growth, so they're not overly reliant on one channel. So most advisors grow by way of client referrals. And of course, that's an amazing way to grow. 
And if you do good work, referrals will follow. But these teams, aside from getting client referrals, they also have habits that make them highly referable. They show up on time. They follow up like they say they will. They're extremely attentive. They're respectful. They go above and beyond for their clients. But beyond even client referrals, they have a pretty strong center of influence referral network, whether it's multiple estate planning attorneys and CPAs that are referring them clients. So right there through referrals are two channels and they're kind of hedging themselves that if one channel dries up, that there's other ways to grow. But other ways that some of these top teams grow is through a unique marketing or lead generation process. So definitely some more flexibility with how to do this if you're independent because you can do things like paid marketing and you can use social media more. But even within a captive environment, some really good teams will go out and they're they're specialists. They have a unique message they're trying to get across. They're catering to a specific audience, a specific niche. And whether it's through seminars or whether it's through sponsorships or it's um, partnering with different organizations, they've come up with a really interesting and different way to grow in a scalable fashion. And they've really tapped into their growth. A couple of other points on multiple avenues for growth is the team is a magnet for acquiring the businesses of retiring advisors. And this is true if you're independent and you can buy a business, or if you're a team at a, at a major firm, folks are attracted to teams that are successful. And the best teams, by virtue of that, should be attractive landing spots for advisors that are looking to retire. So that's another way to grow inorganically. And then the last way I would say is that the team is an attractive hub for a next generation advisor to bolt onto. So whether it's being the go-to team for folks coming out of the training program, or whether it's you're independent and you just have a really vibrant culture where young advisors want to come join you, all of this protects the business because each of these leads to growth, but it also leads to a strong next generation and makes it so that if the market pulls back or a COI dries up or a deal falls through, that you're not just stuck. Um, You have multiple ways to really, it's it's a hedge. Just like advisors, they build a diversified portfolio. This is really a diversified growth plan. And that's what the best teams have. Yeah. And you know, what's so interesting though, is that you and I talk a lot about what an uber competitive market it is, a recruiting market it is. We get calls every day from managers at major firms, as well as business owners of independent firms, large and small, all looking to recruit or acquire the same businesses. They all want the same thing. They want quality next-gen talent. They'd love to buy retiring advisors' books as two constituencies you've mentioned. And yet what we're saying is it's always a head-scratcher why there's a certain small number of businesses or teams that are more successful at it. And I think it's because of what you're saying, because these teams become magnets, their repeatable processes, their growth, their laser focus on their goals become obvious and exactly what next generation talent and retiring advisors looking to sell their businesses want. That's well said. I no, I think that's right. The characteristics, you're right, that make these teams grow and that make these teams in our eyes the, the best in the industry. It also becomes obvious to prospective clients and to prospective sellers or advisors. People are attracted to success. And these 10 characteristics that we're laying out are the exact parts of a value proposition that an advisor can use to attract their peers or to attract clients. So it's all interconnected. Yeah, 100%. 
All right, let me uh, share number 10. So these top advisors are always, without hesitation, fierce advocates for their clients. And what they pride themselves on most is insulating their clients from corporate policies and red tape. And this one probably speaks more to advisors that work at big firms than independent advisors. But at all costs, they are looking to shield their clients from bureaucracy or from a no answer to something that they want. The advisors will move heaven and earth to get an exception to be able to do something for clients. And again, this isn't a show about advisor movement, but it is to say that one of the things that we see driving movement and why it's such a strong seller's market is because these advisors, who these top advisors who are fierce advocates for their clients and hell-bent on making sure that they get a good result for clients at all costs, have become continually and repeatedly and more frequently frustrated with the bureaucracy that says no or that disallows them from thinking entrepreneurially or getting something creative done for clients. And when they get no often enough, oftentimes they look to leave. And the good news is, is that with this more robust or greatly expanded industry landscape, a lot of options exist where it's all about advisor as client and advisor getting yes more than no. Yep, that's right. And you don't have to go independent in order to create your own culture of getting to a yes. While this podcast has highlighted many really successful breakaways who talk about the creativity and being able to solve problems for clients in a completely uninhabited way by going independent, we see plenty of advisors that go to a Raymond James type organization, a W2 firm, a First Republic, where they now have more agency and control over what they can do for clients. And if they do have an issue, the default by the compliance department is likely, maybe, let's figure it out. Or yes, absolutely, we'll figure out how to do it as we go, rather than a default no, which is frustrating. And and you're right. It's when an advisor can no longer insulate clients from bureaucracy and policies, or they lose a client because of a policy, or clients begin to wonder what's going on. That's usually the straw that breaks the camel's back. Last point I'll make on this, and unfortunately, this kind of cuts both ways. When when we're consulting with advisors on their transition strategy, and this is towards the end of the process when we're helping them think through what's the transition story, what's in it for clients in making a move, which is really the only way to view any transition. One of the challenges is good teams do a really good job of not letting their clients know that they're unhappy and that there's things that aren't perfect. So when they're thinking about what's going to be better for a client, many of the reasons advisors move is more focused on the team itself. It's inefficient. We're getting our, our compensation cut. We can't do X, Y, and Z. But oftentimes clients don't, aren't the wiser. So this does kind of cut both ways that it's harder than to explain to a client why you're moving. So that's just a random aside. But good teams are really good at um, jumping in the middle, uh, being the ball catcher, and making sure that um, even if there are frustrations or limitations, that they are still able to deliver a world-class level of service to their top clients. For sure. And I'll give you one more. So we said top 10. I'm sorry. We'll go with uh, the bonus tip, not even number 11. Mm -hmm. But many of these teams have multiple generations who complement each other's perspectives and provide clients with the sense of relief that there's continuity. So it doesn't mean that you always have to have a succession plan. You probably should. 
but the best teams do have advisors that have different backgrounds, maybe more diverse backgrounds. They have males and females. They have folks from different ethnicities. They have multiple team members that can connect with different clients, whether they're young clients, they're old clients, they're business owners, they're more creative types. And what this does is it creates a really diverse perspective that enables an advisor to have more unique ideas, but it also lets clients breathe a sigh of relief that, okay, they're thinking about what's next. And even though Joe, who's 67, is a great advisor, I know he's not going to be doing this for another 15 years, but I know that his son's in the business or he hired Phil, who's 37 and is a rock star. So these teams are always thinking about what's next and the continuity. So this point summed up would be teams are diverse. They have multiple viewpoints, multiple ages in the team. And this leads to, I think, more empathy when working with clients to be more relatable. It also creates a sense that this business is going to be sustainable. What do you think? Yeah, I think I agree. And I think it absolutely goes back to the notion of advisors thinking of their business as a business. If you were a business owner, any business, whether it was wealth management or not, and you didn't have a scale, capacity, a team supporting you, a next generation, a bench of talent, you'd be worried. Your clients would be worried and you'd be worried about the efficacy of the business. And the same thing is true for a wealth management business. So yeah, I agree a hundred percent. But look, there's no doubt that one of the hottest topics on this show always centers around growth and success. And I'm happy we were able to share some real actionable information with our listeners. And if you visit this episode's page on our website, you'll see a link for a checklist of these tips. Be sure to download it for easy reference. So Lewis, let me wrap up by thanking you again. I thought this was a good spirited conversation and I certainly thank you for joining me. Most definitely. I think we'll have to do this again and we'll have another 10 tips because there's really many, many characteristics of top teams. And every day we're amazed at some of the unique things that the best teams in the industry are doing. No doubt. I thank you for listening. And I encourage you to visit our website, diamond-consultants.com, and click on the tools and resources link for valuable content. You'll also find a link to subscribe for regular updates to the series. And if you're not a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the articles link to browse recent topics. These written pieces are an ideal way to stay informed about what's going on in the wealth management space without expending the energy that full-on exploration requires. Feel free to email or call me if you have specific questions. I can be reached by cell at 973-476-8578 or by email at mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please note that all requests are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. And keep in mind that our services are available without cost to the advisor. You can see our website for more information. And again, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with a colleague who might benefit from its content. And if you're listening on the Apple Podcasts app, I'd be grateful if you gave it a star rating and review. It will let other advisors know it's a show worth your time to listen to. This is Mindy Diamond on Independence. <laughs>